0: Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Please be seated. Good morning, Journey Church, and welcome to family worship. I want to let you know next weekend our church will be making a significant investment in uh, an organization called Johnny and Friends. Uh, there's actually two families from our church that are going to be going to uh, Lost Canyon Camp in northern Arizona in order to minister there at a family camp. It's a marriage uh, refreshment weekend, and so the pains and the rodents will be up there ministering. And I know that, and my son Tim, Tim's going to be on work crew up there. He's going to be serving... But uh, there's going to be eight or nine couples that Stacy and I will have the privilege to minister to and be the camp speakers. And this is so important. You need to understand that four out of five marriages in households that have uh, significant disabilities, children with disabilities, four out of five end in divorce. And so we know that this is just such a mission critical kind of ministry. And Stacy and I have been, we've we've experienced it, we've studied this, um, but we can't guarantee that we know how to deliver on this. So there's a certain amount of humility and uh, and reverence and fear, and so we're saying, hey, Journey Church, participate with us, please pray for us. And that's where I am, that's where we are next Sunday. You're going to have a blast here, but remember us and pray for us, okay? Good? All right. Hey, this morning we're back in our 12-week uh, study of second timothy together and uh so you know um our primary uh approach to teaching and preaching our primary we this is not the only one it's not uh only the best one but our primary one is to allow the scriptures to unfold week by week and if there's something redundant or repetitive we just see that god wants to get our attention it's layered it's nuanced And so we continue on in 2 Timothy, we're now in chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 this morning, but to give you that backdrop, once again, time was running out for the Apostle Paul, these are his final words, and for that reason, 2 Timothy is marked by some qualities, it is intense, it is urgent, and it is emphatic, um, it's also a warning. There are several threats that are coming up against this younger pastor named Timothy. And we've already looked at and addressed so many of these potential threats. And what we discover is if they're threats to the minister, to the pastor, the bishop, or whatever we, however we want to describe Timothy, they're threats to the whole congregation, right? And so we learn so much as we look at this letter from the apostle to this lead pastor, We see that Timothy's own temperament, um, perhaps timidity and cowardice that he has to deal with in order to be faithful in ministry. We see that maybe he has a low pain tolerance to the difficulties of his vocation as a pastor. There's potential passivity and laziness, looking for the path of least resistance at times in Timothy. There's always a potential for immorality and impurity but then, more recently in chapter two, we're looking at this getting caught up in the wrong conversations, uh, missing the right conversations, quarreling about words, majoring in minors, and vice versa, making everything a major issue in a dividing line. Paul obviously has a heavy heart and a concern and a burden for Timothy's faithfulness and effectiveness, but also he's got a heavy heart and a burden. For the faithfulness and effectiveness of the church and the church in every generation and culture moving forward. And there's so much, so much that we can learn as the church in America in the 21st century and even as the Journey Church. Now on the heels of describing how Timothy is to deal with those in the church who argue and disagree and spread nonsense within the church. Arguing about the wrong things, making hay over things that are non-issues. Paul tells Timothy that he's going to have an ever-increasing opportunity to deal with these kinds of people. And even, not just people that that like to make hay out of non-issues, but people, really bad people, not just in the world, but people that make their, their way in and around the churches. We're reading this morning, once again, from 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 9. You can follow along, you'll see the words up there in your bulletin or... Hopefully, have you have your Bibles with you and open. This is what Paul says. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, "...treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions." Always learning and never never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses. Hold up really quick there. Who are these guys? This is the only place in all of the Bible that these guys are mentioned. And what we discover is um, in early Jewish writings that are outside the Bible. These are the names, according to legend, of the two magicians who mimicked the first three miracles of Moses and Aaron. They mimicked them. They were able to counterfeit them before Pharaoh. These are, according to Jewish uh, tradition, these are their names. So he says, just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So, the theme of bad actors inside the visible and professing church has come up a number of times, both in 1 Timothy and now 2 Timothy. Matthew Henry, Puritan, pastor, theologian, And commentator says, two traitors within the garrison may do more hurt than 2,000 besiegers without. The idea that only two traitors, two bad actors in a congregation can do more damage than 2,000 people that hate that church on the outside of that church. The same uh, warning of bad actors Not just being in the world around, but making their way into the churches or inside the community of faith, this warning is all over the Bible, not just the New Testament. And this warning is in the context immediately preceding what we are looking at, the verses under examination this morning. If I just take you back a couple weeks, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, that's the chapter right before what we're reading It says this about two guys. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. Two traitors within, more dangerous than 2,000 without. Well, praise the Lord that God will have the final word. And that's even in this text that I just read from chapter 2, Paul concludes that same text with a promise in verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19, by God's foundation stands firm. Praise God that God is bigger than the cons and the swindlers and the false teachers that worm their way in or arise from within. Praise God that he's bigger. God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord, you say you're a Christian, then here's what you need to do. Depart from all iniquity. That's sin. Walk away from it. Be done with it. Now our text this morning provides further insight in explanation. It's a continuation of the same idea that there would be bad actors that would arise from within or worm their way in from the outside into the true church of God. And Paul issues two imperatives. There's actually two verbs in these nine verses that are uh, in commandment form. Two imperatives. Timothy must understand something, and secondly, he must avoid someone, or someone's, plural. Understand and avoid. The first, understand. Why he needs to understand and and expect this to be the reality. Because if he understands it, he will be unshockable. You've seen people that are shockable oh my goodness, fight, flight, or freeze. And they're like, hypocrites, oh my goodness, the church is filled with hypocrites. And Timothy cannot afford to be that shockable kind of person. Unshockable by the things he sees in and around the world, but also even inside the visible and professing church. So he needs to understand. And secondly, he needs to avoid someone Why? Because if he doesn't, his commitment to the Lord, his clarity of thought, and his image, his witness, is going to be diluted. So not only does he need to be unshockable, he needs to be undiluted by the kinds of company that he keeps, the partnerships that he forms, other congregations, other ministers that he chooses to partner with unshockable and undiluted these two imperatives are central to understanding our text today and they form our bottom line takeaway so here it is like timothy we must be undiluted in our associations if you want to put that who we partner with we must be undiluted and unshockable In order to become unshakable and unstoppable. You follow? Because that's the whole agenda. That's 2 Timothy. Paul wants Timothy to be unshakable and unstoppable. It's his faithfulness and fruitfulness until the Lord returns or until Timothy takes his last breath. Is what Paul is after. So this morning let's begin with this idea of being unshakable. We see this in verse 1. But understand this. It's in the imperative form. Understand, gnosko, to have knowledge. A commandment to to understand something. What is it that he's to understand? That in the last days. What are the last days? Well, it's the time, and we learn this in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. The last days are the time between Christ's ascension and his second coming. Paul and Timothy were already living in those last days and experiencing some of what Paul is describing, but there's indication that these things would ebb and flow, but with ever-increasing intensity. They were in the last days. We are in the last days much more certain. And in those last days, understand that there will come times of difficulty, that word in the Greek... Hard to bear, troublesome, or even dangerous. Dangerous for God's people. So I want you to see something that's taking place in these nine verses. Verses one through five are in future tense. Paul is talking about something future. And the idea there is that whatever's going sideways in the first century is going to go sideways with ever-increasing intensity. But then verses 6 through 9 are in present tense. And what does that mean? Is that the last days with these ever-increasing intensity of difficulty were already taking place for Paul and Timothy. And what's the idea here Is, is this. At the same time that the kingdom of heaven is gaining depth and breadth and influence and momentum... The kingdom of darkness is growing more desperate, more dangerous, more obvious, more extreme, and more accepted in society around us. Timothy has to understand this principle in order to be unshockable. Same goes for you and I here this morning. If Timothy understands this, it's not going to be we're going to win the whole world. And when it gets good enough and the church has done its job, the Lord will say, thank you, now I can return. It's not polluted anymore. That's not how the story goes. The kingdom of God grows and the world gets sicker than ever. And then Christ returns. Timothy needs to understand this. We need to understand this in order to be unshockable. When we see things around us in the culture and things in the visible and professing church and if we don't know these things understand these things it's going to rattle us to our core we're going to fall apart and so here's what we need to learn yes be surprised be surprised but not scandalized Where do I get the surprise? Why is it okay to be surprised? Paul would say this in Romans 16, 19. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The word there for innocence, it means to be unpracticed. Unpracticed. You don't have practice with evil. And therefore, when you see it, instead of being, oh, you know, freaking out, the idea is like, oh, my goodness, why would they do that? There's supposed to be, even if you came out of that world and that culture, there's supposed to be a restoration of a heart that is innocent and goes, no, no, really? Because you're unpracticed in it. The Lord returned to you a kind of innocence and you're like, what? Oh, that's so bad. That's so harmful. There should be a compassionate surprise over how wicked the world has become. But not scandalized, freaking out, oh my goodness, and and so obsessed with it that we can't function. And especially in the church. People, you're going to see horrible things in the professing church, not just this one. I'm saying across Tucson, in Arizona, in North America, and, and throughout church history, There's going to be terrible things that happen inside churches. People that you looked up to that are going to go off and do terrible and scandalous things. But one thing that we cannot afford to do is become scandalized by them. Expect it. That out there is going to find its way in here. And listen, we've been warned by Jesus of this. Here's a quick sampling of Jesus and Peter and uh john jesus said this brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death that's that's what the world's going to be like but listen to what it says will happen in the professing church matthew 24 then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise And lead many astray. Where do they arise from? Out of the professing church. And because lawlessness will be increased universally, the love of many will grow cold. They're scandalized and they just go, I just can't function. Uh, I'm just too shocked. I'm just too appalled. And the love, compassion, fatigue, and I'm just so inundated with, with the junk of this world. And now it's in the church, and oh my goodness, and we can't function. You know, Timothy Paul said this to Timothy, this is like, I believe next week's text, evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's going to get worse with ever-increasing intensity and darkness. In the same way Paul wanted to warn Timothy and explain, it's going to look really bad. And I want to go back and look at this list for just a moment. He says in verse 1 through 4, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Now, we all love e- ourselves. Otherwise, we wouldn't eat, and we wouldn't sleep, and we just kind of be ornery and beat up on ourselves. We're talking about a disordered love of self that puts self first at all cost, that knows nothing of self-denial or service to God or to others. Men will become, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Jump forward in that list to verse 4. And it says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I want you to see this. There are bookends to this, this list. And the bookends are two sets of disordered loves. Love of self and love of money on one side. Lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God. These are the bookends. These are disordered loves. We were created and designed to be lovers. Lovers of God first and others second. That is how the creator designed us in his image. Sin and rebellion has wreaked havoc on our affections. Here it is. Lovers of self and lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God. And in between those two bookends is every kind of filth and villainy imaginable. Here's the list. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. This is an interesting word. It is the absence of familial affection that even mothers will not care for her own offspring. Natural human affections that are given to all people. The love and instinct of a mom for her baby will dissipate and be lacking. Unappeasable means we can't make up, I will never forgive you. Unappeasable. Slanderous It's the word diabolos, where we get the word Devil. Without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Treacherous means there's a bias toward betrayal. It's actually exciting to see it. We love that turnabout. And the betrayal of trust. Reckless, swollen with conceit. You only need to take a quick and shallow look at social media or the news to see that this running rampant around the planet in the three major categories you see individualism materialism and hedonism individualism is me first taking no responsibility for my impact not having a commitment to others just looking after self materialism insisting on all things bigger better and newer because i'm worth it and then hedonism the pursuit of pleasure fun enjoyment and happiness in the avoidance of pain at all cost, because certainly God would not want me to feel pain or ever be unhappy. So, all these things in Journey Church, expect it. Expect it. Lost souls who are the products of this world system have always been disorderly and dangerous. And these things will continue to gain momentum and intensity in the last days. Be surprised, innocent, unpracticed. Don't be scandalized. Not only does Timothy need to understand the coming days of difficult times and dangerous people, he needed to avoid certain ones of them. The word avoid in the original language means to turn away from or to shun Yes, there is a place in the church, in the 21st century, in North America, where we are called to shun certain people. But the question is, which ones? All of them? Everyone out there? The people that we live next to that we're supposed to be a witness and a friend to in order to show the gospel? Anyone who matches that first list, is it everyone who is it that Timothy is to turn away from before we jump back in or yeah Timothy but before we jump back into 2 Timothy I want to take you over to 1 Corinthians because I think we get our answer there 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 through 13 who are we to shun and is there evidence that that is the same group of individuals in 2 Timothy that he is to shun or avoid this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9-13. Paul says to the Corinthian church, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning sexually immoral people of the world, or greedy, or and swindlers, or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. You couldn't be salt and light in the world. Jesus leaves us here to make a difference with them. Verse 11, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler. And I want you to notice it's far beyond sexual immorality. There's a whole bunch more of what now have become described as acceptable sins that we tolerate in the church. In Paul's instructing the church in Corinth to shun these people, so-called brothers that, and this is the key, this is the discerning question, those who are these things and are unrepentant. That's the key. Unrepentant. It's just their character and they don't think it's a big deal or a big deal to hide it or ignore it. They get caught in it. They go, eh, it's explain it away, lie, whatever. These are the ones to turn away from, not even to eat with such a one. And I would say, unless it's time for repentance or there is an opportunity, there's a place, these things are are to be discerned, but to be taken seriously. He goes on to say, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Of course they match the list. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. That's not our problem or business. But, then he quotes the Old Testament, purge the evil person from among you. A known swindler, cheater, liar, sexually immoral that is unrepentant. Hey, hate to break it to you, but this ain't your church. Let them know. But when you're ready to repent... Call me up. Send me a text. I'd love to be there when you come around and you see that it's not going to be what you thought it was going to be. And the only way to be free is to bring your stuff, your secrets, out of the darkness, out of the bushes, out from behind the fig leaves. Bring them into the light. Experience forgiveness and healing. Proverbs 27 Solomon says, the one who conceals his sin will not prosper. But the one who confesses and turns from them will find favor. So, there's always room for repentance, but it's those unrepentant. So question, who is Timothy to turn away from? Who are we to avoid? The ones, and here it is, verse 5. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. The ones who, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. The appearance, the word there, morphosin, is an outward form. They have all the bells and whistles of a born-again professing Christian. Godliness, Eusebia, is a genuine reverence, respect, or piety toward God. So who are these ones? They have all the externals in the profession. And they even show up at church. And they look like they have a reverence to God. There's even some songs that they really get stirred by and throw up their hands. They have all those externals. But in their morality, in their heart of hearts, they deny its power. Their gospel does not regenerate, resurrect. There's nothing supernatural or transformation about the gospel. Our our scripture reading today, the reason why that was chosen, I'd say by the Lord and then Tyler, is because it's packed full of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The transformational power of the gospel. But there are those who are Christian in name only, and they go through the motions, they do all the all the dues of the gospel, but there's no none of the life-changing transformational power in their gospel. And guess what? There are pastors and ministers and preachers and people on television and on YouTube that walk in that same kind of Christianity. I, Christianity or non-Christianity is what I would call it. Avoid such people avoid such people i want you to notice something furthermore is that there's a second list of people individuals that emerge out of the first list the first list of disordered loves and every kind of crime and villainy and scum and filth in between a second list emerges out as we get into verse six and in verse six we discover a certain kind of person who creeps into households with a hidden agenda, and the hidden agenda is to capture weak women, and I would argue that that would be a moniker for all kinds of vulnerable individuals in the church. Yes, in the first century, I think that this was, and I think Paul had some specific instances in mind, women being considered second-class citizens They had never been taught or trained. There was a certain amount of ignorance that was beyond their their, uh, own control. And that they were easy prey for this kind of creep or creeper. Those who creep into the households. But the idea here is that this kind of person would find their way into the visible and professing church. And guess what? Again, Jesus taught as much he warned as much a couple weeks ago i I cited the parable of the wheat and the tares this week the parable of the dragnet matthew 13 verse 47 through 50 he says again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind the gospel appeals to so many kinds of people and they are brought in When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate evil from the righteous. Our churches are going to be a mix of people who have a profession of faith, some legitimate and some illegitimate. And the angels are going to sort it out at the end of the age, the evil from the righteous, And throw the unrighteous into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, Peter, John, Paul, they all actually had the same idea in teaching that there will come, people will find their way into the visible professing church that do not know the master. This is what... What uh, Paul told to Timothy in First Timothy, a parallel passage to the one we're looking at today, First Timothy four, one through two. He says, "Now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, there's the last days, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That's a false gospel or an incomplete gospel will be propagated throughout the world." A gospel without sin, a gospel without repentance, a gospel with only lovely, feel-good attributes to it, and none of the heavy lifting of saying, God, I am so sorry for what I've done. They're going to devote themselves to these kind of deceitful spirits and teachings through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Peter said this in Second Peter. Chapter 2, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets or false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They're going to slip in. They're going to creep into households. John said this in 1 John 2.19, talking about kinds of antichrists. He says, they went out from us. Now they're actually being brought up in the church and going off the rails and going out from the church, but they were not of us, John says, and worse than merely rising up and departing from and so forth, we discover that some of them will stick around and they will become what the apostle Paul describes in Acts 20 as sheep killers, this is what he says in acts 20 29 through 30 i know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them so who is timothy supposed to avoid those who have the appearance of godliness they look like christians they talk like christians They creep into households, taking captive weak people. Verse 8 of our text says, disqualified regarding the faith. Meaning, they actually tried to look qualified. And some even believed that they were, but Paul's giving the stamp, disqualified regarding the faith. And what we get from this, they're ministers in and among the churches, they're dangerous actors Creepers with evil motives and deceptive methods. And time is short. There's too many examples, people. Too many examples. Maybe you have your own own examples of knowing people that you loved and trusted. That you would have said qualified only to find out completely and totally disqualified. Disqualified. What are we to do? Well, I think there's a call to tolerate, but don't consolidate. That's your second second sub-point. Tolerate meaning we are not in the Inquisition. We do not put to death heretics, as did the church in the 15th and 16th century. Everyone did it, by the way. They just thought, man, we got to clean this place up. Put them to death, burn them at the stake. We don't do that. We don't think that that matched what Jesus said to do. Let them alone. The angels are going to sort them out. The Lord is going to judge them. The Lord knows those who are his. We do not tolerate them, though, in the churches that we have authority or oversight in. We do not allow them around our children to the best of our ability to identify them and to, to discern their presence. We do not allow them around our people without having conversations and saying, I see you, I know who you are. Tolerate, let them live. Do not tolerate them in the church and do not consolidate. Oh, you know what? They're just good people with a troubled past, and no, they're safe. Look the other way. I knew his mother. She was a good lady, and that's the good old boys club. We don't do that. We don't do that. We say, look, we got a problem. We've had them in our church. We likely have some right now. But we do diligence in knowing who they are, where they're coming from, where they're heading tolerate do not consolidate but I want to give you one more thing before we go to communion this morning and I want to just highlight the kinds of people that seem to be vulnerable to these kinds of creepers did you see this in his description he called them uh, weak women I've already explained that a little bit burdened with sin let us stray by various passions, and then let's listen to this. Always learning and never able to a- arrive at the knowledge of the truth. These are individuals that are either ignorant, accidentally ignorant, or by choice. There's a past there, there's a, a temptation, there's shame. And they're drawn to a kind of gospel that just turns away from the shame and talks about the good stuff. There's no repentance. There's no heavy lifting. And there's never a call for devotion and commitment and surrender. It's fashionable to be learning and reading and thinking It's not fashionable to say, I've found it, and to take a stand. So what are we to do in order to avoid becoming the kinds of people that are victimized by these kinds of creepy men? In the self-defense world, we talk about hardening the target, or military world, or police world. Harden the target in people today is the day. Children, you're in here with us. Today is the day to harden the target so that you don't waste your life being held captive by the kinds of people that sneak into households and exploit. What do we do to harden the target? Here it is. Regenerate and then concentrate to insulate. Regenerate. That's an interesting word. What does that word mean? It's the idea of being born again, spiritually born again. And it's not something you can do. It's something that's done unto you. But unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot be delivered from the kingdom of darkness. You are regenerated when you finally come to and embrace the truth and own it. Instead of learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Stop. The evidence points to Jesus he said I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to me but comes to the father but by me he is the truth embrace him receive him and guess what the holy spirit regenerates you and insulates you but secondly concentrate and this is not just intellectually concentrate about it but I'm taking I'm talking about Concentrated, maximum potency, commitment, devotion, and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Time is up for a kind of cultural Christianity that's shallow and sloppy and sentimental. We need to be born again and then we need to be committed and say, heck no, man, I'm after Christ and I'm not going to be anyone's fool or victim regenerate, then concentrate to insulate. Now, let me just end here this morning with the children. Kids, you're in here, right? You're in here. You just put up with a long blah, 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 right? (laughs) But you're in here, and I didn't talk to you once. I'm talking to you now. Were you in church last week? Last week, I am told, because I was here You talked about why with Mrs. Halverson. Why? Why did God give us his word? Do you remember the answer? That we may know the truth. Why did God send his son? Do you remember? That we may know the truth about God. Why did God give us his Holy Spirit? Do you remember? That we may know the truth and be guided by the Holy Spirit. No, you cannot get your answers from Google or YouTube or TV shows. No, you must go to God's holy word, the Bible. And if you do not, you're going to be a weak-willed, weak-minded, sin-laden soul that is a victim of these creepers. And so the best thing that we can do for you and with you is to give you the word and to help you get into the word and know the word and know the Lord. Regenerate, then concentrate to insulate. Own it. Own your faith and walk with the Lord. Because you know why? The kingdom of darkness... And the kingdoms, the little micro kingdoms that these creepy dudes and women, these deceivers that they create, they're a house of cards. No matter how big they get and the super airplanes and jets and mega churches they build, in the end it's going to be a house of cards. This is what Paul told Timothy, the last verse in our text, they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Do not be scandalized. Tolerate, do not consolidate. Regenerate, then concentrate to insulate. We must be undiluted and unshockable to become unshakable and unstoppable. Amen? Okay. It's our time for communion. Our ushers are going to come forward and pass out the elements. But let let me walk us back into a text that I cited in the sermon from 1 Corinthians. Let me just talk about it for a moment. There were major problems in the church in Corinth. They got things out of order they were young a young church a confused church and they were easy prey for the devil in his schemes so they had made some really poor choices they were celebrating a guy that was acting as if he was married to his dad's wife his stepmom and they said oh we're so gracious they come to church and we love them and there's no repentance called for and the guy wasn't sorry for his immorality And so Paul has to clean up things like that and many other things in his first letter. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where we read this, you know, put out the sexually immoral and the swindlers and all those. Right before that text, Paul said this about the Lord's Supper, the communion, and the picture that this is taking place every time we gather In how serious we are to be in our walk with Christ individually and corporately. This is what he says. 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8. Your boasting is not good. They were boasting about being the grace-filled church that looks the other way. In all things immoral or impure. No big deal, nothing to see here. We're gracious. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit of sin taints the whole community. Cleanse out the old leaven. Begin with yourself of doing business with God. God, is there anything that I've done in this last week or month that I have not yet confessed and repented over? Did I intentionally go and look at something on my cell phone? A YouTube video? Something on my computer, did I intentionally, that I have not said, God, that's just disgusting. I am so sorry. That's filthy. Or any other thing, gossip, slander, swearing, anything that's, that's wrong. Cleanse out the old leaven so that you could be a new lump. As you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, the Lord's Supper, the table, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Amen? This morning, this is for those who are ready to clean out the old leaven. Do business with God. Tell them you're sorry and you hate sin. And you don't want to ever do it again and then receive the forgiveness. Remember the body and blood of Jesus, whereby you were cleansed and forgiven and purchased. And celebrate it together on the night that Jesus was betrayed. After supper, he took the bread and he broke it and blessed it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. after that he took the cup and he held it and said this is the new covenant in my blood the prophecies of the new covenant were that god would take out from us a heart of stone a cold dead religious or rebellious heart either way you're dead and replace it with a heart of flesh a spiritual heart that could feel and know and love god from the heart This represents the new covenant in my blood, Jesus said. Do this in remembrance of me. Father God, as Kenyon said at the beginning, we come into your throne room by the shed blood and broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Oh God, would you please grow us up Fill us up with you and your word, your truth, and a heart that loves you. Lest we become captive and ensnared. Or lest we actually become those sinister, dangerous actors in the church. Lord, protect us from us in our old ways of life and our flesh. Deliver us from evil. And help us to be clean and holy before you and celebrate the festival with truth and sincerity. We pray it in Jesus' name together. And if you agree with that, say amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.